Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Basha Cummings. It's Monday, the 2nd of October. Party conference season is in full swing and there's lots to discuss. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. Water companies in England have proposed significant increases in customers' bills to fund investment in infrastructure improvements. I don't know why Offwater would ever agree that the customer should pay again for a second time. I'm calling upon the Chancellor at the autumn statement to put corporation back tax back down to 19%. Former President Trump making a statement outside the courtroom as he gets ready to head into his civil fraud trial. Single greatest witch hunt of all time. I'm joined by Tortoise's political editor, Kat Nealon, and world affairs editor, Giles Wattel. Hello. Hello. Is that your new title? It's my old title. I thought you were deputy editor. It's that too. Oh, that's true. <laughs> deputy editor and world affairs editor, Giles Wattel. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and Hashi Mohammed. Hashi is a broadcaster and barrister, and he's also a contributing editor at Tortoise. Welcome, Hashi. Uh, hello. I still remain a contributing editor. <laughs> I haven't had a promotion like Giles. <laughs> And in fact, Giles, in in addition to all your job titles, you actually have a new series which is out today, I believe. Yes. About Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. Yes, it's called Trump and Rudy in three parts. And it's the story of how Rudy Giuliani, hero of 9-11, pioneering, um, um, crime-smashing mayor of New York, actually may have been the template for Trump. He learned a lot from each other over about three plus decades knowing each other, scratched each other's backs a lot, and now, of course, find each other joined at the hip. But, but Giles, did you do something on the common way in which they fixed their hair? Oh, that's a really good point. Well, we've got a comb over on one side, that's Giuliani. Yeah. And a kind of sculpture on the other. Exactly, because I I think they must go to the same hairdresser. You reckon? Yeah. (laughs) So the answer to your question is no. See, that's your next series. Gaping hole in the... (laughs) Thanks for that, Hashi. Well, if you'd like to listen to Trump and Rudy, a bare-knuckle bromance, it's available now for Tortoise members and subscribers to Tortoise Plus on Apple Podcast. And if you're not a member or a subscriber, you can get it on Tuesday and more episodes later in the week by searching for The Slow Newscast. You've each got a story that you think should lead the news. And we're going to talk about each one. And at the end, I'm going to decide the running order. So let's start with long story short... In a single sentence, what do you want to talk about, Kat? My story is the Tories are revolting. (laughs) 
Okay. Hashi? It's time to pay for dirty water. Okay. Giles? Eastern reproaches. Slovaks vote for Russia. Slovaks. Slovaks. 23%. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. well, let's start with you, Kat. What's your story? So my story is with the backdrop of the Conservative Party conference taking place this week, that the sort of lack of authority that Rishi Sunak currently has over his own party and the lack of respect that a lot of MPs have for him is creating a lot of destabilisation within his party. So underlying it are two things. The main issue is is the polling, which has not improved since he took over. It's still roughly 20 points behind Labour, although there is some suggestion that perhaps some of the net zero policies that he announced um, recently might be sort of tipping the balance a little bit. But as far as as, as we can see, there has been pretty much consistently 20 points um, uh, between the Tories and, and Labour now for, for a, over a year. And the other thing is this sense that Rishi Sunak doesn't really have a sort of overarching ideology. You know, what is Sunakism is a question that's kind of being asked a lot. And that has kind of given a vacuum to other people within the party who are driving their own agendas under the current leader, but also, of course, thinking about their future ambitions. So you've got Suella Braverman, as you pitched last week, Basha, when it comes to immigration, is also kind of setting out her stall for for her sort of future leadership ambitions. Liz Truss. um, Oh, she's uh, back. uh, The great um, former prime minister um, (laughs) is back at the Conservative Party conference and the Growth Alliance pushing their agenda when it comes to cutting taxes. And then you've got the Net Zero Scrutiny Group and others, which we believe kind of forced Rishi Sunak's hand a bit on on some of the green policies, although perhaps that that sort of uh, door was already open. In the run up to the party conference, He's gone on a policy blitz, the net zero, uh, briefings around cutting inheritance tax. And today, Jeremy Hunt talking about making it harder for out-of-work people to claim benefits. He's also having to deal with some problems of his own creating, Rishi Sunak. So, you know, having promoted Grant Shapps to Defence Secretary over the weekend, having to say, no, actually, we are not going to be sending British troops to Ukraine. Oopsie. Um, And, you know, some of the things around HS2, kind of the indecision again feeding into this sense of, of Rishi Sunak not really able to sort of grasp the nettle um, and having to defend multi- multiculturalism after Suella Brevman's uh, attack on it last week. So today in Manchester where the Conservative Party conference is taking place we're going to see Liz Truss uh, speaking at one of the she's actually going to be holding a rally to protest the policies of her successor, the man who is actually in number 10. She wants him to cut corporation tax and back fracking, which were both policies that she was planning to enact had she stayed in power. She's going to be joined by former Home Secretary Priti Patel and other people in this sort of uh, low tax, pro-growth alliance. They've been tweeting over the weekend that they have signed up to a pledge that they will not be voting for or supporting any new taxes that would see the overall tax burden rise, which is quite a big uh, red line. Um, Then in the sort of blue wall corner, we have Theresa May speaking. We have Damien Green speaking. Um, Last night we had James Cleverly speaking. So there's kind of there's there's it, it feels very much as though there are sort of attacks from all sides. No one kind of 
group that naturally kind of would support Rishi Sunak because he's only been an MP since 2015. He doesn't really have a sort of base. The overall sense, this is probably the last party conference before the next election, although they might use the next conference next year to launch the election campaign. So, um, but, but if this is the last party conference, this is really the point at which you set out your agenda, you make your case to party activists to say, this is, this is who I am and this is why you should be, you know, spending lots and lots of time in the wet and the cold going out canvassing on our behalf. And it feels pretty flat. Mm. It feels, I mean, a lot of people aren't going and I was speaking to a lot of MPs in the run-up to it who suddenly found themselves curiously busy over this week. Um, a lot of activists aren't going. You can kind of see that. And a lot of lobbyists aren't going. Interestingly, they're going to Labour this time. So it sort of feels a bit like it's all coming to a bit of an end. I have two very basic questions. Mm. What, in your view, is Sunakism? I mean, does it exist and we just haven't seen it yet? Or does it not exist and this is an inevitable sort of where we're headed with everyone trying to, you know, make their play. So I think, actually, ironically, given that Liz Truss is positioning herself as the sort of uh, fiscal conservative, um, cutting taxes and so on, I actually think that that's where Rishi Sunak's sort of natural instincts lie. You know, we know from when he was chancellor that he kind of resisted the lockdowns because it would force him to spend more money, although he was the architect of the furlough scheme and eat out to help out and so on and so forth. He has always talked about sort of balancing the books and getting things back under control in that way. So I think that is probably where he lies. I think when it comes to the sort of social conservatism that we've seen under him, I you know, clearly... He doesn't disagree with Suella Breverman sufficiently to sack her. And there is a lot of discussion about how he is actually more right wing than people might presume. I think when it comes to that, he probably doesn't really have a view that much. I think it's it's basically whatever wins votes. And this is the problem with having a prime minister who's only been an MP since 2015, is he hasn't really sort of found his mm. political feet in that respect. My view on it all is we're seeing him sort of really try and lean into the sort of policies that won the 2019 seats. There is a sort of growing sense that that is going to be at the cost of the blue wall seats, the kind of more affluent um, sort of uh, traditional Tory moderate that, yeah. Tories. But but there is also a lot of, I think, uh, scepticism around Rishi Sunak from some of the sort of red wall seats themselves because he's not Boris Johnson. He doesn't feel like a man of the people, mm. you know, bizarre though it may be that a man that went to Eton and, you know, now lives in a £3.5 million house in Oxfordshire can be seen to be a, a man of the people. But, he, you know, Rishi Sunak smells rich smells you know like like a member of the elite yes. so so um i read something not long ago uh, which i thought was very revealing which was i think one of his aides talking to the financial times saying it doesn't bother rishi if people think he's wealthy it's just it bothers him if they think that he's out of touch yeah and i thought mm, that's an interesting conundrum he's got there because i think the two are so closely related and i'm not I sure i just that don't he's... understand why he does that all the time why try and be a man of the people? Why don't you say, yes, I'm rich. Yeah. I have earned a hell of a lot of this money and I happen to be married to somebody who 
has a lot of money. And I think it's scandalous that people don't have a life chances in, in, in this country. And this is what I want to do something about it. And this is why I'm sacrificing so much of what I do on a day-to-day basis. It doesn't mean I'm out of touch. It does mean I'm mm. exceptionally rich and I'm proud of it and I pay all my taxes. So that's who I am. Take me in <laughs> that way. I mean, why wouldn't you say that? Why instead say, oh, my dad used to be a pharmacist and my mum was a GP? Because that's the like, current, that's the world that we live in at the minute, though, isn't it? It's but it the, makes you look it's less the populist world. No, I agree. And actually, I was thinking this morning when I was listening to Jeremy Hunt on the radio, how night and day it was, both in terms of that, right? Jeremy Hunt is also an incredibly wealthy person, but he's he's comfortable yeah. with that, yeah. right? He, yeah. he kind of owns, he owns it. it. But, but the other thing is how... Rishi Sunak has this propensity to get very um, sort of worked up in yeah. interviews, very yeah, defensive, yeah, yeah, yeah. snippy. And and Jeremy Hunt, and this is again where sort of, you know, you, you have this experienced hand, doesn't get worked up, mm. is able to sort of deflect difficult yeah. questions yeah, yeah, yeah. or answer them actually sometimes. I know that's a rare uh, skill amongst our, our politicians these days, but he does. And uh, whereas Rishi Sunak gets very on the defensive and 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 it comes off cross badly. Mm. It reminds me actually a bit of when Jeremy Corbyn used to get very frustrated mm. with the questions because he didn't like them. Giles, do you think this is a story about Sunak or about the Conservatives? I think it's actually the story that is being pitched is about the Conservatives. And to the extent that the conference is flat and mushy and we're not quite sure what it's about, I'll be brutal here. This is uh, the news meeting. Uh, the story is flat and mushy and we're not quite sure what it's about. However, just one specific point on Sunakism. I think it's staring us in the face. I think it's obvious what Sunakism is. It's conservatism. It is do whatever it takes for power for its own sake. And he has that in common with Cameron. He has that in common with Boris Johnson, for whom the price of power was Brexit. It was obvious to him. He did whatever it takes. And so in policy terms, it's the usual mixture of um, small state in principle, spend whatever it takes in practice. Actually, Kat, that reminds me that we received an email this week from a listener, which is about uh, another big topic of Tory party conference, which is net zero and the diluting of the targets, which is from uh, somebody called Peter Callery, who says, in all the fuss about Sunak's dead cats of non-existent meat tax and requirements for car sharing, the most impactful result of his announcements was that landlords will not have to comply with stricter requirements for insulating properties. This is not just about reducing emissions, but also influencing the amount tenants will pay for their energy bills. This is an example of how cost of living and emissions reductions are not necessarily in conflict. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I think he's right. To go back to my point, it doesn't feel like it's long-term thinking. It feels like it's very lazy thinking in the hope that it will secure a few votes here and there. You know, the, the kind of question around landlords being clobbered by some of the new changes that were coming in is something that conservatives have been sort of in deep discussion about. The, the real long-term thinking that conservatives say to me we are deeply worried about is the fact that one of the clearest um, sort of aligned indicators of how people vote is home ownership. And the, the fewer people they have owning homes, that, that is kind of really changing the demographics mm. in terms of when people start voting. They're much older because people are becoming much older before they own their own home. So if they want to make it a sort of longer term strategy that conservatives will continue to win in the elections, they need to get more people on the housing ladder. Well, actually, that's a good reminder to our listeners that if you want to get in touch with the show like Peter did, you can send us an email at newsmeeting at tortoisemedia.com. 
let's move on to Hashi. What do you think should lead the news today? I think that what should lead the news is the most scandalous issue of our recent times, which is the complete and utter dirtying and polluting of our waters. At the moment, today, the reason why this news has become a, a big of an issue is that the water companies have come out and they have said that they would like for bills to go up by £156 a year in order to pay for the upgrades and the infrastructures that they're going to need. Now, we know as a way of background that people have noticed that there is sewage going into our seas, there is sewage going into our rivers, and we've also recently seen an investigation that they have been doing this even when they were not allowed to in the sense of dry weather, for example. Now, to give you a few statistics, in 2021 to 2022, we have seen the water companies being paid some £966 million in dividends. And they claim that they have invested uh, multiple billions over the years. But what have we seen as a result? We've seen waters more dirty, we've seen waters more polluted, and we've seen the regulators falling. The other thing that I find interesting is they've announced that they want to increase the bill for everyone on the first day of the Tory party conference. Quite convenient (laughs) that. What what other day would you announce that in the hope that it will be somehow buried in the rest of the other papers and all of the other ideas? So for me, the other thing that really captures this story is the audacity of it. The audacity to have done all of this and to have had a benefit of privatizing our waters, to have made sure that our water quality is just appalling, and then to turn up and say, actually, the solution to this is that you all have to pay for the benefit of us making your lives better. And I think people should be absolutely apoplectic about this. People should be angry. People should be furious that we have a situation where this is what we're being told. It's like an oil company dumping a bunch of oil into a place like that they're trying to get oil refined and then turning up to the villages and going, hey, guys, we're really sorry about that, but can, can we have a whip round so it? that you all can pay for clearing <laughs> it up? So for me, this story has to be front and centre on every front page. Mm. And it's an example of failure. It's an example of market failure. It's an example of regulatory failure. It's an example of you know a privatised industry that has just completely and utterly destroyed our most basic environments and then have the galling balls to come to us and say, you guys should pay for it. (laughs) It's quite refreshing having a barrister make an argument on the news meeting. Um, Can you tell me how much they're asking for? Because it's in the billions. It is. uh, They're claiming they need 96 billion to improve our infrastructure and to pay for 10 new reservoirs, the cost of upgrades... And, that, and also, this is the worst part of it. This is going to be done over the next 10 years. It's absolutely outrageous. They're saying we're not going to be even be able to have done all of those upgrades until at least 2030. Wow. So 96 billion is what they're asking for, but you won't get the benefit for a while longer. And so... So we'll just still be swimming in still sewage. Still swimming in sewage. For a while. And, and then the other thing that I heard, which is I, I found quite extraordinary. So my, um, my wife is Swedish. I spend a lot of time in the Scandinavian countries. You can swim in any river in Denmark, in Sweden, and, and have no issue at all. Because over there, they take water 
and you know river courses and water courses and their clean and the cleanliness so serious and the the actual consequences of contaminating them are so severe mm-hmm. And that just doesn't happen here. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that we should be having to live with this because everywhere else is as bad. I heard the, the the spokesperson for the water companies say, oh, things are just really bad because we test more and we test more. And you're like, hang on, you're testing more of a system that you have polluted so badly. <laughs> and it's no wonder that your testing is resulting in just absolute nonsense. It's like when they said we've got more COVID because we're doing more tests. Exactly. It's like when um, Donald Trump said, stop the testing. (laughs) Stop the testing. (laughs) And one of the things that really jumped out at me, Hashi, about this story was about the fact that this plan is being put to the regulator who will have a look at it. But not not all of it will be publicly available. So we won't actually know some big chunks about what it is that this money is proposed to go towards. That seems to me problematic. It's so problematic, but it's even worse than that. Not only are we not able to know exactly a few more details, but Theresa Coffey, the, the, the Secretary of State who's dealing with this, is not even going to have much of a say of what happens. So she is basically just standing by the, uh, on the sidelines saying, I really hope that the water companies understand the nature of what's going on here. And I really hope that off what take the, the requisite steps to ensure that, that they are holding them to account. So not only are we not going to find out the precise details of exactly what they're going to do, when they're going to do it so that we are able to hold them to account, but the Secretary of State can't really do much at all. Kat, how much faith do you have in off what to make the right decision? Zero, zero. And this isn't the only regulator that we've been talking about. I mean, we've been talking a lot about Ofcom recently because in relation to the the Lawrence Fox comments, um, but off what is another one where it feels like they're really toothless. And this is a problem that's been created by by poor regulation. What's also interesting is the spokesperson for the water companies this morning was asked, where is our money? And one of the things he was explaining was actually when somebody said to him, well, you've given nearly a billion pounds of dividends to to these shareholders. His answer was, well, these shareholders expect a return. I mean, just can you believe that? That was his answer. I absolutely can believe it. (laughs) They want a return. And so so if they want a return, that's the only basis basis that we should (laughs) get. I think someone has to come to defence of the water companies. First of all, it's not just them doing the polluting. This is a crowded island with um, obscenely polluting poultry and farming industries. Second of all, Dams take time to build. I think 10 dams in 10 years, that's quick work. Third of all, Scandinavia, come on, come on, right? (laughs) Huge, very few people, lots of lovely rivers. This is a different place. Fourth of all, privatisation wasn't the water company's idea. And once you you are running a privatised company, yes, you do have an obligation to your shareholders. You do have to pay dividends. Well, I mean, that's up to, uh, somewhat subject to discretion. But um, all these... But you only have uh, to pay them uh, if uh, the company is succeeding. And and the the, the the scale of the bonuses and the dividends add them all up. They're an order of magnitude smaller than the sums that you're talking about that need, need investing. And they do need investing and someone has to pay for it. And uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, adding to water bills is a, a form of hypothecation, which would do that rather than just add to the tax burden. Okay. Very so you're pro-bills, pro-higher bills? I'm pro-clean water. Very briefly, let me respond to that. The, the poultry and other pollutions that cause these problems, yes, absolutely true. That's not the only issue that's causing it. But more poultry, 
more pollutions in the places like the Netherlands, France and Germany. Germany, which has an 80 million people population, they don't seem to be having this problem. 10 dams in 10 years, fine. But where is the result of that? The 10 dams in 10 years still results in you putting sewage into the watercourses of the rivers and the seas. So even what you have built has not been fit for purpose and there has been no consequences and your shareholders have still got it. It's Scandinavia, yes, much larger, much cleaner waters, fewer populations, but they also have better standards, more uh, legislation that ensures the water companies are held to account, more accountability, and less focus on this idea that you've got to make money at the behest of clean water. The, the, the water companies didn't want this privatized, and they are where they are. Oh, not quite what I said. What, what was the? What, what, did you say they didn't? Privatization want the... was privatization was not their idea. It was Margaret Thatcher's idea. Yes. Once you are in a position of a director of a privatized company, you do have certain yes. obligations, including to your True. shareholders. Being a barrister was not something I invented. I became it, and I have become a very uh, successful and wealthy person off the back of it. But I still have huge amount of standards and integrity, <laughs> and I still have to tell the truth and do my job to the best of my ability. <laughs> <laughs> and I still will be held accountable if I don't do that. I am sorry. You cannot be making a billion pounds a year to your shareholders and still tell me that, you know, you want more money from us because you have failed in the past. You're failing now and you can't guarantee you're going to succeed in the future. Wow. OK, <laughs> on that note, we're going to take a moment, maybe catch our breath Can and we we'll be back. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Give them a gift they'll never forget because they'll still have it years later. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age. Like their iconic full zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades because a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. So be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code GRATEFULAG23. Giles, what have you got? On Saturday, a gentleman called Robert Fitzo, um, spelt uh Fico, but pronounced, I understand, Fitso, and his party, the Smer Party, won the Slovakian parliamentary election, S-M-E-R. I believe it's an acronym. Don't test my Slovak. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a notionally progressive party, but uh, nationalist uh, and ugly in many ways. He is likely to lead a coalition. He's only won just shy of 23% of the vote. But what this will mean, <clears throat> among other things, is no more arming of Ukraine by or through Slovakia. Uh, no more support from Slovakia for sanctions on Russia, 
and, in fact, opposition to further sanctions on Russia by the EU. More worryingly, FITSO promoted a false narrative to voters in the election campaign, including that Ukraine is run by Nazis or fascists, and that the initial incursion into eastern Ukraine in 2014 was a legitimate response to oppression of, of ethnic Russians. And you now have the likelihood of a de facto alliance between Slovakia and its southern neighbour, Hungary, run by Viktor Orban, apparently in perpetuity, undermining European solidarity on Ukraine, and uh, a strong possibility following Polish elections next month, uh, that Poland will sort of join that de facto alliance. There was a very big demonstration in Warsaw yesterday, led by Donald Tusk and Poland's progressives, in an effort to uh, rally support for their largely sort of urban progressive agenda before those elections. But the roots of Polish social conservatism run deep in the countryside, and they have an uphill task prevailing in that election. Can, can I ask something to, to Charles? This narrative about Nazis and fascists running Ukraine, it's something that is actually gaining traction in other parts of Europe and mm -hmm. elsewhere. I mean, could you tell me a bit more of that? Because I haven't followed it. I've been hearing a lot about it. Uh, Nina Kuryata, our Ukraine editor, uh, knows more about this and has written a very good piece for us about it recently. It is, you're right, gaining traction purely and entirely as a result of successful Russian propaganda. That's what it is. It Putin, is a lie. Let's Putin's be very, been saying that. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. be very clear. It's a lie. I mean, yes, there were some skinheads in the Azov battalion that defended Mariupol. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but it is not true that the current or any of the previous regimes, for all their faults, which include uh, Kremlin sympathizing, um, uh, rampant corruption, uh, have been either Nazi or fascist. So what you've got is a very successful um, insidious propaganda campaign amplified by politicians, not just in Slovakia, Hungary, but elsewhere in the Western Balkans, in Serbia, who have a clear and usually financial interest in peddling the Russian line. And is this, is this the regional wobble that Putin has been waiting for? Not just waiting for, but um, uh, agitating for, has uh, tasked his foreign ministry and his uh, intelligence services with, with generating. So this is a part of the playbook Plan. of this war. Yeah. And is that, do you think that's why Biden came out overnight saying, we won't stop supporting Ukraine, we're going to commit to continuing to arm them? Yeah, I mean, the, the immediate reason he did that was congressional shenanigans in, in which far-right Republicans who are opposed to arming Ukraine uh, seem to have the upper hand or are threatening to unseat the Speaker of the House. And, in, and in, the, in the course of that, undermine US support for arming Ukraine. But I do think Biden has a sense of the big, bigger picture. He has a very smart national security team who will be in his ear um, saying, uh, Joe, you've got, Mr. President, you've got to say this. Mm. Hashi, what do you think? I mean, I, I think that this tide of various major influences in and around Europe, particularly if we also see a situation where um, Donald Trump comes back on the scene, even if he doesn't win the presidency and he becomes a nominee, he will give a huge amount of oxygen to a lot of this rhetoric. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the European Union talks about this being an existential crisis for 
the continent, but even they will not have infinite amount of resources, particularly when people don't know where this will all end. The narratives that we were talking about with Nazis and fascists is going to continue catching fire. Um, so I really do worry for Ukraine as a whole because I think the Russians, and particularly Putin, as long as he's around, you know, he will keep banging at them. The question is, do we all, the rest of us who support Ukraine, have the resolve to keep with mm. the fight for as long as we can? I'm not so sure. Well, let's go around and each of you can tell me what you think should lead the news today. But remember, you can't choose your own story. So Kat, what's persuaded you today? I'm going to go for Hashi's. Hashi, what do you think? Uh, I think I'm so tired of Rishi Sunak <laughs> and can't stand him and his government at this precise moment in time that there is a bigger geopolitical question to be asked about what the future of Ukraine means for the rest of us. I would go with uh, Giles's uh, uh, story. And Giles? I'll go with Hashi's Dirty Water because it's a terrific story because it riles you up whichever way, whatever you think about it. <laughs> OK, thanks all. Right, I'm going to make a decision then on what I think the running order should be. I... I'm going to put, despite my ancestral uh, obligations, I'm going to put Slovakia and Poland in third slot. I think we can see the way the wind is blowing, which is scary. There's a lot to look out for in whether Fitzo can actually form the coalition. I think in two weeks' time we'll see what happens in Poland and we'll see what happens if PIS win, how emboldened they'll be and what impact that might have on the support for Ukraine. But I think it's a bit of a wait and see story. Mm -hmm. In second place, I'm going to put, I don't really know how to frame it, Sunak's wet rag. This moment that's supposed to be so galvanizing, it's supposed to set this Tory trajectory, actually feels like a total basket case of big egos and characters all vying for their own positions. And I think that says so much about his party, his leadership, and which direction it's heading. But I have to put water in first slot. It is a scandal. And the best thing that reporters and journalists can do at moments like this is to be uh, hold people accountable and to give it a big show. And I think there's so many elements of this which are enraging. I think the sort of toothlessness of the regulator, as you said, Kat, is really important to note. We have to ensure scrutiny. I think the fact that this proposal is not going to be fully made public is is outrageous. So I'm persuaded by the argument that we just we really need to shed light on this. We need those crystalline Scandinavian waters approach uh, to this story. And for that reason, I think it should lead. So the running order is Hashi's water scandal in first position. In second, the Sunak limp conference debacle and in third Slovakia Slovakia 100% record maintained <laughs> Kat Giles Hashi thank you so much thank you thank very you. much thank you James Harding will be back in the editor's chair on Friday when he'll be joined by the BBC News and Mastermind presenter Clive Myrie and to see us out, here is Donald Tusk, a major player in the Brexit negotiations and now leader of the opposition in Poland, quoting John Lennon back in 2017, a sentiment which, depending on your view, might still have some resonance today. Some of my British friends have even asked me whether Brexit could be reversed and whether I could imagine an outcome where the UK stays part of the EU. I told them that, in fact, 
the European Union was built on dreams that seemed impossible to, to achieve. So, who knows? You may say, I am a dreamer, but I am not the only one. Tortoise. Hello, I'm Alexi Mostris, host of Who Trolled Amber, the podcast that investigates whether there was an organised trolling campaign against Amber Heard. I'm excited to announce that on Wednesday the 12th of June, I'll be hosting a live event to discuss Who Trolled Amber with Jen Robinson, Amber Heard's lawyer, and Gina Neff from the Mindaroo Centre for Technology and Democracy. It's a great chance to hear insights into the world of celebrity PR, online disinformation, and its effect on all our lives. You can book your place at tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 